Brought to you by BedroomBattlefields.com, this is the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark. On for your third time. It's your hat trick, isn't it? You've got the match ball under your arm and you're waving to the fans, if there was fans, which there's not. Oh, am I Am I both the match ball holder and the fan? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll go with that. It's yeah, just a mirror cool. and you're kind of <laughs> applauding yourself and holding a ball and it's it's got a bit of that just, That's not a good look, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> You know, in these in these days of social media and stuff, it's probably not the worst thing that's been put out there. So <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. So you've been out and about, haven't you? You've do- you've done what none of us really do. You've went out and met people and stuff. How how did that go? It sounds terrifying. Yeah, it was really interesting. So about two and a half weeks ago, I went to the Partisan show that's on in in Newark in Nottinghamshire, here in England. Um, it's it's. It is, from what I understand, one of the biggest shows that goes on in the country in terms of kind of independently organised shows. You know, they've got all sorts of people there, different manufacturers, probably a little bit more on the kind of historical miniatures side of things, a little bit more, but there's still loads of fantasy and sci-fi stuff there. But it wasn't affiliated with any games company or anything like that. So it's just an independent show at a big county showground in just a massive hall. Uh, It was... The, the thing that I'd heard about it is, well, A, it was relatively close to where I live, so that was quite good. But the other thing I'd heard is that apparently this is the place where you get to see the most spectacular kind of demo games. People spend, you know, maybe at their club or whatever, they'll spend the whole six months or the year beforehand preparing a table and a game that they're going to take. And they bring this sort of event and they play out this this huge game. I mean, they don't play it in the sort of traditional sense of, playing competitively or to try and kind of definitely get to a conclusion they're just sort of progressing through the game and chatting to people about it when it's on but it was just a really good opportunity just to see stuff kind of in the flesh because it crossed my mind actually that the sort of relatively limited amount of playing I've been doing since getting back into the hobby sort of five years ago has been in you know just one person or just another person or just a small table and I've really enjoyed all that and that skirmish gaming and but what I haven't seen is I haven't seen a kind of like big scale thing. Uh, I did have a little bit of a look around me to see if there are any clubs. Um, this was a couple of years ago, and there are a couple of clubs near me, but they meet on a Wednesday night. And a lot of them, one of them, it's basically just like a 40k club. I wasn't that interested in that. And the other one was a club, and they got some stuff on their website, but it kind of looked very. Uh, just a little, un- I don't know, perhaps it a little old-fashioned and maybe I felt like it wasn't really for me. So going to this show, I sort of, what, my main objective was just, I was really keen on actually seeing the stuff happening, you know, like actually in the flesh, a, a, a big a big show on with, you know, hundreds of figures on the table, brilliant terrain. And, and there was absolutely loads going on. There was probably 60 or 70 games. And I'd say, oh, three quarters of them were really spectacular and even the ones that were more basic looking were still good so it was just really good plus loads and loads of traders and stuff like that so yeah really cool event um like i was saying though um i was quite nervous about going and it's kind of weird it's it's a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome don't they and i think that there's something about this hobby where my previous experience had been very much that teenager at school sharing white dwarf going to games workshop shops occasionally 
uh, go to each other's houses. It kind of like existed in that little space, that sort of safe space when you're when you're a kid. Um, but I hadn't really sort of done anything that was perhaps pushing at the fringes of it in terms of kind of getting involved and meeting people and talking to people. And I was probably being a bit snobby, but I thought I thought that with it being a bit more of a historical sort of based convention, it would be either really boring old people or that there would be like really nerdy people who would be really socially awkward and it would just be just, you know, 400 people walking around staring at the floor. But it wasn't like that at all. It was, it felt, it felt like a really, really normal. It was quite a diverse group of people more than I thought, you know, quite a lot of different ages, uh, lots of women there as well. It wasn't just all blokes. You know, it was just, I don't know, it just felt, felt a lot more normal um and people were really chatty and really friendly and stuff and they weren't overbearing and sort of bending your ear with the fine details and stuff it was much more just oh you know it doesn't matter if you're a beginner and they sort of just chat through things from the start and the thing that really surprised me um that probably shouldn't have done really because it's not a big industry but there was absolutely loads of the sort of names if you like people who are the people you've heard of and the people who make the games and they're just walking around talking to people that felt very um very sort of democratic if you like and they're all talking to each other it wasn't this kind of well them and us or the big companies or anything had really sort of grounded everyone was there for pretty much the same reason even if they're trying to sell stuff they still were just sort of enjoying the experience of being together so yeah really cool really positive who were some of the the names, if you like, that you saw pottering about? So yeah, so the Perry brothers were both there, uh, and they were walking around and uh, talking to people. Um, uh, they didn't actually put a game on this year, but I think they have done historically in the past. But they they just appeared to have just come for the sake of it. There was a Perry Brothers um, sort of stand selling their stuff, but that was being staffed by other people, and it was kind of yeah you know, they weren't running it as a shop, but they were just sort of there enjoying stuff. There was there's a Mark Copleston was there. He's a he's a sculptor. He, I think he used to do a lot of stuff for GW back in the day. He does a lot of freelance stuff now and puts out things through North Star. He was there with his game. There was just all the people representing the the, the companies like Pete Berry from Bacchus who you spoke with, he was there. And and lots of I mean they're not sort of famous people by any means, but you know, sort of people who are like bloggers, podcasters, uh YouTubers, just those kind of people covering it. I saw the people from the uh War Games magazines. So um the editor of um Miniature War Games. I forget the chap's name. You've spoken with him on John. the show, haven't you? John, yeah, he was there. And uh, also Dan, who's the editor of uh, War Games Illustrated, was there. And, um, yeah, it was just really kind of felt really, I don't know, it just felt like everyone kind of came together, really. It was a lovely sunny day, but, and so it kind of felt quite celebratory. But And I know, obviously, with having probably there weren't many events during COVID, so this probably was the biggest first one back um uh and with it just being in may it was yeah it was just really really cool experience actually and i got there literally when it opened um went straight in and i stayed pretty much till the end you know even though i was on my own just walking around just sort of it was a, a five quid to get in you know and it was just a really well well spent day actually um and i was amazed by how broad a church it really is you know there, there wasn't a kind of there was no sense of, oh, we're doing this and this is how you do it and this is the right way. There was all sorts of different games going on from very simple ones to very complex ones, hundreds of miniatures to just a few, you know, really amazing terrain to shoeboxes on a table. And it just felt really inclusive and kind of what actually this is probably all about. Mm. 
did you did you kind of overthink like what your aim was when you got there and what you wanted to get out of it or were you just happy to turn up and see what happened yeah I think that's why I enjoyed it the most actually because I just sort of I just decided to go and went no do you know what I think I'm going to go along uh and I had the day available it was on a Sunday and I and I just went with a really open mind of just, you know, if I'm here for two hours, that doesn't matter. Um, and as a result, I kind of threw myself into it a bit more and was just like going up to people and chatting to them, which is probably something I'd normally be a bit nervous of doing. But um, I don't really know why, because I'm confident in my in my daily life and at work and stuff. But sometimes with uh, it's it's comes back to that, that idea of probably a bit of a nerdy hobby, maybe. And it's sort of one of those things that maybe you feel you don't really want to. Uh, tell people you do because I think you're a nerd, but at the same time you don't want to talk to the nerds about it because you're cooler than them. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> and thinking it's just like a ridiculous dichotomy. That fear of like going up to someone who's literally like playing miniatures and you ask them about it and they just turn around and smash you in the face because you're a yeah. nerd. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Were you able to speak to folks playing games and that as well, or is it a kind of no-no that you go up and talk yeah. to folk when they're? So the thing with the playing games thing is. They basically are just, well, A, they must know what they're doing quite well with the set of rules that they're playing because they're able to basically be talking about it in this really loud environment with people walking past and you just think, oh, I don't know how they're concentrating on it. So they're probably more just kind of procedurally moving through the game so that they can show it going on. And as a result, they were just stopping all the time just to turn around and talk to people. There was there was no sense of like, well, they're busy doing their thing. They, they, it was very much like, they were spending more time with a back turn to the table, inviting people in and chatting to them than they were turned around playing the miniatures. So, yeah, no, that was really – it was actually harder to speak to the traders because, it, it, I mean, it was like a big shopping experience and there was oh, there must have been 50 or 60 traders there. So if you – and there were people with bags and bags of stuff and the prices were really – like there were some good offers on, but also you wouldn't pay any more than you would online and yet you don't have to pay any delivery. So if you want – five quids worth from 10 different people you know you can you can go and do that somewhere like that because it's like a big marketplace so yeah it was it but the the welcome from the people who were putting on the games it was really noticeable some of the games were participation ones as well so you could sit down and have a go at them um i i had a little play with a couple of things but not for like just like a turn or so and that was cool but there was an opportunity to have a get involved in a game that i was kind of keen on but at the same time, I didn't know whether I wanted to fully commit to doing that. But in retrospect, looking back, I think, oh, I should have done that. I should have just said, yep, yeah, I'll spend two hours and I'll play the game in full because uh, that would have been a good opportunity. But I don't know, probably do that next time of feeling more courageous. I think we maybe spoke about this before, but like when you when you used to see the old White Dwarf magazines, and again, I'm, I'm going through all mine again, um, mm. and there's photos of their games days and stuff, you know, 1995 and uh, years like that, and you've got, looks chaotic, you know, you've got um, what appears to be just a massive crowd of people around this table, and like everyone's over the table, there's like 10 people appearing to be playing, everyone's got the ball cut and, you know, the bigger less t-shirt and that, and there's just like dice everywhere, and it looks absolute chaos. I always wondered, like, what are they, what are they actually playing this? Or yeah, uh, I... is it just a big old Rami? I don't think it, I think it's almost like lots of different games going on. So there was this one table that was amazing, this game called, or oh, what's it called? Uh, I'm going to forget what it's called. It's called To the Strongest. It's a set of rules that's a, a kind of on a grid. So although you don't really see the grid, it's quite simplified, you know, you just sort of move. So it, it's designed for like mega battles, so it can kind of move speedily. And there must have been 
something ridiculous like 10,000 figures on this like 30 foot long table it was absolutely insane but there was probably 10 people playing at each side and in a way they were just playing each other opposite so it was a bit more like like in tennis doubles sort of thing it kind of had that feel to it but yeah I think that some of the games there was clearly they were being played properly and others of them it was just they were just sort of moving stuff around really for the sake of the show I asked this one guy about what set of rules they were using and he was like oh you know we're just kind of not quite making it up as we go along, but you know, it was just a heavily adapted thing. And they were just like, we just keep it really simple for the sake of the show. So, you know, move and shoot. And that's basically all you can do type of thing. They weren't worrying about the sort of gamey parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're more just trying to get people just to look at it and go, oh, that looks interesting. I could do that. And I guess that's probably what those game stays were like in White Dwarf. It crossed my mind. I never went to one of those game stays. Um, and I always wanted to. I don't know why I didn't ever go. But um, there was something about just actually seeing a big table with loads of miniatures on uh, when I walked in the thing. And I thought, actually, you know, I've never actually seen this. I've only ever seen, you know, something like maybe in the back of a shop where they've got like a small game of something going on. And it might be like 50 miniatures each side or something like that. Never actually seen like hundreds and hundreds. And it, it really does kind of make you think, wow, this is on one hand, really inspiring, but on the other hand, a bit overwhelming. Um, and it was just really nice to chat to some of the people because I was talking to some of them about, you know, these huge games and, and like you're saying, that kind of chaos of it all. And and they're very much explaining how it's kind of built up over time. And they just, you know, you can do it. There's no right way of doing it. There's no wrong way of doing it. Just this is how they like doing it there. But they'll play tiny games on the club on a Thursday night. And it felt, yeah, it felt like they were, really interested in putting on the biggest, most spectacular show as possible for the sake of hooking people in. And I think that's something that's really stuck with me because when you used to look at those white dwarfs, it, was, it wasn't necessarily you thought you were going to play one of those giant epic games, but they were the ones you always looked to in the, in the, in the middle pages of the magazine always because it's just that, that wow factor, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think there's, there's tremendous value in these events because well, if you look at it from a a game creation point of view, you know the internet is is such a busy place. There's mm. there's all sorts of brilliant games available. You know, Kickstarter's its whole thing. There's just I, I'll never ever look at that because I expect I would just get right into it. There must be so much cool stuff just out there, you know, to be uh, backed in that as well. So if you I know these real life events are busy. But they're busy in a different way. Like there's, you know, you're getting to see stuff. I'm actually reading the now. I don't. I've never known very much about D and D, and I've never played it. But I'm reading a book about it now, and its origin story and stuff. I can't 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 remember the name off the top of my head. But it's interesting. The the period in the book that I'm at the now, it's quite early on, and it's talking about how D and D really like it almost had no chance of success because it it came about. You know, fantasy stuff was still like totally frowned upon in, in yeah. the early 70s and, and it was like a set of rules and there were no miniatures and it was just, it, it required like a referee or a dungeon master. It had all these reasons why it was, you know, cert, almost certain to fail. But it said that Gygax, you know, he went to Gen Con, which was a big convention, I think it's still on the go these days, but he was turning up to that and showing people his game in a really engaging and personable manner. And yeah. the, the author attributes it to just you know, it took on from there. People went, they met him, they played his game, he showed them it, you know, he explained it to them. 
and 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 they kind of put it, put it down to that. You know, he was turning up to this thing, and he was just engaging with people, showing them the game. And yeah, and I think the fact that it was such a completely this huge paradigm shift, isn't it, of how to play a game, um, but that bizarrely, although something like role playing games, you know, before he invented that, just weren't even a thing, and it's just a completely crazy sort of left turn. But actually, if you once you get over those hurdles and those barriers, what you're presumably doing by showing it to someone is kind of them tapping in and they're going, oh, it's like what we used to do when we were kids and just pl- playing imaginary games. I know how to do that. And yeah, I think that that's, that's what these events are really good for, is taking something that potentially seems overly complex or overly difficult and then showing it to you in this way that you kind of think, oh, do you know what? Actually, now I've seen it it makes so much more sense and it's so much more straightforward. Going to the Partisan show, the one thing I kind of came away with is didn't come away sort of thinking, oh, well, it's really confusing because there's loads of different rule sets out there and tons of different miniature lines and different scales and anything like that. It more just felt like actually all of the things I saw, in spite of the fact they're all sort of different games in inverted commas, is none of them are like a boxed game. None of them are like a Monopoly set or a chess set. They're all just a kind of system for creating a story on the table. And actually, it almost doesn't matter whether you've got a mass battle army or a, or a small skirmish warband or a, this rule set or that rule set or this size miniatures or that. It's kind of actually the narrative storytelling thing you just need those mechanisms and those tools just to enable the storytelling, really. That was the one thing that every single table had in common is it was just reenacting or setting out this imaginary encounter. And, yeah, it's really cool, actually, when you see it. It's really freeing because you're just like, yeah, actually, I can just do whatever I like, and it's it's mine. And everyone here is doing whatever they like. There's no one just – there was not a single person just playing something by the rules. And – um I think that that's something that's really, really, it's not unique to wargaming, but it's kind of, yeah, it's very much shares that with role-playing, whereas perhaps board gaming, which I do like board games, but they're, they're very much more prescriptive. And the idea is that you play them to the rules using the components in the box, and that's a kind of contained experience, more like a video game or watching a film or reading a book, whereas it feels that maybe wargaming, role-playing game is more like a creative pursuit. What were some of the sort of coolest stuff you've seen? I know you've got pictures, we'll link to them in the Discord, but uh, you mm. know, in terms of tables, terrain and stuff like that? Some of the stuff was just absolutely spectacular because it's the kind of thing that you you look at and it's the, the, the overall picture of how it all goes together is just completely compelling and just like, and you you just your eye is just drawn straight in like a museum display or something like that. You know, it just looks like this whole diorama and all the bases and the dice and the bits and the bobs on the table just kind of melt away and you just see it. There's just this absolutely brilliant one that was um, like an American Civil War um, thing put on by a guy, Dave Andrews, who used to do a lot of the uh, White Dwarf um, terrain and he wrote the terrain books for GW. And his stuff was just absolutely superb. But there was this huge, epic uh, Armageddon thing, so the 40K epic, and they've got this massive table that's all 3D printed, and that was just amazing as well. But there's also some like really simple things, like um, just some tables where people had just designed stuff and just used things in a really interesting way. Like um, there was this sort of Doctor Who-themed one, and they'd just basically got like kind of a cool like meta-terrain thing because what they'd done is 
got household things and spray painted them silver and it looked like how the Doctor Who stuff looked in the 70s if you know what I mean but in miniature form it was just very very clever but and then some of the games that they, they had on as well were just um just sort of really really just they, they, they're doing something with the terrain that I never really thought of before of actually modeling the terrain to create just that total immersion so there was this um this sort of world war ii uh table and it got like houses and all the houses have got back gardens and they've got bins and they've got flower beds and they've got wheelbarrows lent up and there was bikes and roads and paths and it was just like it was literally like a model village you know just completely precise as to how you go about doing that i don't know it's kind of overwhelming but it's just so brilliant you just think it, it just would create a completely immersive environment uh the, the thing with it though that that's also cool is they had a lot of people who had stuff that was hugely more modular, you know, just great big cloths and great big kind of things. And I think that the idea of using really long tables and using tables in different shapes was quite interesting as well. There was a cool thing that was like a star field and it was like on a great big, like almost like bin liner type fabric laid out. But it looked really good actually. But and this guy who'd made a thing which was um it's like tanks driving around and there was just these cardboard shoe boxes representing buildings and yeah it was just like it was went from one extreme to the other but everything looked like it got loads of care gone into it and i didn't feel at any point that anyone was doing it just to sort of show off it felt like it was all in pursuit of trying to tell that story better our question of the month for march 2024 is what hobby related thing have you recently changed your mind about it could be to do with anything from collecting, building or painting to mechanics, rule sets or content. I'd love to hear about a recent hobby U-turn in your life and you could record your audio feedback to be played on a future episode by heading to bedroombattlefields.com slash voicemail. That's bedroombattlefields.com slash voicemail. And now back to the show. Did you see any uh, rule sets or games or that that piqued your interest to the point where you might be buying anything or did buy anything? Yeah, I, did, I bought, what did I buy? I bought some uh, three boxes of Perry miniatures and um, something else, something really cheap. I can't remember what it was. Um, and yeah, the, the thing that I saw that was the most sort of inspiring really is there's this game called Strength and Honour that's a... Um, Roman themed ancients game but I mean you could use it for anything of that sort of era really uh, it's just a rule set as a book really but it's all based on using two millimeter figures which essentially aren't even figures they're, they're kind of like there's a base and then there's this kind of metal sort of blocks that are dimpled and they have this illusion of looking like a block of Roman troops absolutely tiny two millimeters high and there's other ones that are like barbarians and they're much in more in sort of like cloud-like shapes you know sort of much more raggedy and it's this really zoomed out view of the battlefield but the way the rules work is really clever because it's, it's all quite simple but it's a lot more based around like actually that really high level of command so you kind of like you tell them to go off and do stuff and then they'll just kind of continue and do that so you're not doing loads of micromanagement because the idea that you're seeing this battlefield with like 10,000 troops from really high up, you're more just trying to kind of generally coordinate what's going on. And, it, and the guy who's written it was explained to me that it got this quite clever system where you essentially are crewing cards. 
every time things go wrong. So every time you have to take like a morale test or something bad happens, you have to take a card. You don't see what the value of that card is, but you see the card stacking up. And your army has got a break point that's a number. And your opponent can call at any point whether they think you've got enough cards and the cards are numbered themselves to, to add up to the breakpoint number. You might have collected loads of low-level, low-number cards, and so it won't. Or you might have collected just a few high-number ones. And so it's, it's kind of – it was just really cool because it was much more around, like, what a general at that level would really be doing. It just really fascinated me because I thought what they haven't done is just gone, oh, we'll make the troops small so that you can play, in inverted commas, a bigger battle. They're actually saying, well, what would it feel like to play a bigger battle? Because um, I think that that's probably possibly a kind of a bit of a a bit of a criticism of some rule sets is they're kind of like they might be like a mass battle game or a skirmish game, but they're kind of actually the same. They just require you to use more plastic figures, mm-hmm. but they don't actually do anything different. And I thought this was a real fresh take on it. And people I speak to about it who had played it were saying it was absolutely amazing, just a really cool game. Not something I'd normally think about. It was in a way, it was a bit more like a board game, though, to be honest, because because it had this sort of flat kind of feel to it because you were so zoomed out. But yeah, just really cool. Just what different. was that called again? It's called Strength and Honor, and um, yeah, it's it, the guy who wrote it. It's a guy called Mark Backhouse, who's a history teacher, and um, yeah, I think he's he's a war gamer, obviously, but he's just come up with this like, this system that's just just really unique and. Uh, it did feel like a genuine fresh take on the actual kind of concept of the rules and everything as well. So I thought that was really interesting. What else uh, did you sort of see around there? Like you've got your games taking place and you've got your vendors and that. Was there anything on top of that or was that just enough to fill the place basically? Yeah, there wasn't that much actually. I thought there might be maybe a kind of, um, you know, like you might get at a conference or an event. I thought there might be a sort of, panel bit or a little bit where you can go in a room and tell them we'll do seminars or something like that they hadn't got any of those elements to it it was just yeah the participation games in one part the demo games in the other and all the traders so it sounds a bit simple in a way but i think it was just how long you could spend with people essentially what almost everyone was doing was just talking to each other and that's what felt really good about it um it just felt like a coming together of people just uh yeah some people who knew each other some people who didn't but just to kind of really go through what was going on and yeah i don't think anyone sort of necessarily will have done that much that day they will have just you know but they've just been together and just kind of sharing in each other's company and each other's enthusiasm it was really cool actually from that point of view i think um the uh the one thing that will probably would be a really cool addition to it would be to have if you were able to have some sort of seminar thing, I think it'd be really interesting to hear people talk like the Perry brothers or something like that. I would have definitely wanted to go into a session if there was something going on, but yeah, as it stood, it was, it kind of played into the very, um, the very kind of democratic nature of the community how it just felt like everyone was just kind of communing together. Really. It didn't feel like it was a lead session or that we needed to listen to these people because they're more important or anything like that. It just felt like, um, just a community event. So uh, I thought that was, yeah, positive in lots of ways. And there definitely wasn't any kind of um, competition element. There was no one there. At, like a, There wasn't a tournament-type part to it or anything. I suppose it's one of the things that organisers will consider with, you know, talks or panels or that. There's, on the one hand, the school of thought that, like, 
you don't go to these things to talk uh, to to sit and listen to somebody talk because you could do that any time of the year via podcasts or videos or whatever. Mm. But on the other hand, you know, you could say that if you put a talk on, you could have a bit of audience interactivity. You could do a bit of Q and A, or you could also, you know, if you've got famous people, you know, within the industry in the same place, you could get a panel and you could get them all talking to each other. You know that might be difficult to organise out outside of something like this. So I, I think there there are definite advantages if they wanted to go down that route in the future. It's it's probably something I would at least take part in. I reckon. Yeah, I think that would be valuable. The thing that I know that I've spoken about this before to you, and I've put stuff on the Discord about this um, about kind of trying to get more young people involved in the hobby and stuff. And there were kids there, and they were with their mums and dads and stuff like that. That was cool. But those are probably the ones who have been exposed to those things quite well. And it did make me think you could run an event of that nature. You know, you wouldn't have all the traders, but have some demo games of different interesting things going on. And I think take that put that in an environment and then maybe have some game designers talking about their job as a game designer, what it's like to work in the industry. And I think you could bring school kids to something like that or bring that into a school and that'd be really quite a valuable thing. I mean, you could widen it out and do it for role-playing games, board games, you know, sort of maybe all like analog gaming, but it just feels a bit like it's almost like it exists as this actually quite well-supported self-supporting industry. Um, but the only people who get into it are the people who just appear to have had that kind of gateway opportunity to get into it. And I suspect that there's probably too few people who are now being kind of having that happenstance, that moment where, you know, you just someone mentions that they're into this hobby or, or, or whatever it might be. You know, it, it felt like it felt like a really nice community, but a community of all the people who were there all understood and they all knew what it was. There wasn't a kind of, it'd be better to have something like that where people might just come in a little bit more off the street and just kind of, and just learn about it without expecting to do so. And, and, and maybe it doesn't, that's something that could be developed in terms of an event. Mm-hmm. Was the venue somewhere that's uh, off the beaten track in terms of you're unlikely to get just a walk-in or that? Um, yeah. It'd have it's, to be um, quite big, wouldn't it? So It was like a county showground um, building and there was, yeah, just like a massive exhibition hall on this county showground that you went and parked your car on the grass and walked in and you wouldn't be there unless you were there for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There was no there was no banner outside. You needed to know it was there. there you know, it was... It was absolutely chock-a-block and did really well, but that's because they've already got a reach in a community and the magazines and the, the, the whole, that the media, the, the established War Games media know about that event and it, it's a big thing. But yeah, it, I don't think that the percolation to the, to the sort of wider public is there. Uh, I think that that's something that I think would be quite cool. I remember hearing someone talking about a War Games show that's on in, I think, Leeds, and I think it's in part of the Royal Armouries Museum. And so they kind of have that benefit of like, essentially, if you've got into the Armouries Museum that day on that Saturday or whatever, then people will just wander through that bit and actually see, oh, well, what's what's going on here? And it's like, well, if you're already in an Armouries Museum, you're probably vaguely interested in something similar. And I think that it's just those opportunities to kind of get it in front of more people because when you actually see the games and see stuff for yourself in front of your eyes and on that scale, even if it's not what you're going to do, this sort of inspiration is not to be underestimated. And I'm sure that's why GW used to have those great big game stays back 
in the 90s just because and on all the shops because they recognized the power of showing it and even in white dwarf like the all the photos that the sort of best photos weren't necessarily all the posed ones a lot of the photos that were really nice were the ones where you saw just like a filing cabinet in the background and like you know people who work at the head office playing a game in you know scratching their head and it'll just be a little caption about you know Andy Chambers just trying to work out what to do with his Eldar or something and it it felt like you were kind of getting that that view you were sort of like being transported into their world and seeing the game being played uh, it comes back to what you're saying with Gary Gygax it's like show the game being played because mm. in in abstract these games are potentially just really confusing mm-hmm are you are you still thinking you're going to bring out your lead in August? Is that um, that's not too far away from where you've just been, is it? Yeah, it's, it's actually nearer to my house than that one was. It's, I sort of went past where it is. I am thinking about it as to whether I can make it or not. I'm not 100 percent sure at this stage. Um, but if I do go, I'll probably just go on the Saturday. Um, as to, I don't know what's different about that event and how that works and what it's like, but I'm sure that if that any sort of nervousness I had about the sort of welcoming atmosphere or um yeah no that's 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 something that i i've proved wrong on really it was really it was really inclusive and a warm welcome at partisan so yeah no I'd, I'd like to go along to it um i think it would just be really interesting to see what how that works and i had a quick look on their website it looks like they're actually moving from that premises foundry are so that's actually going to be the last one that's on in that building so it might be a cool opportunity to go to that place because apparently it's really cool yeah, I, I'm, I'm really wanting to go out myself, but this year's just been nuts for us. We've had like, I mean, I, I'm forty this year, and we planned a couple of wee breaks, and it, it's just been one of the years now where I'm looking at the calendar and I'm thinking, Christ, there's not, there's not, there's not very many months where I've not got anything on, and you do need to. I mean, you can't afford to do everything. No, uh, it's not very near so, you either, is it? Nah, I would have to get. Um, the train looks pretty straightforward from Edinburgh, uh, but then you obviously you, you need to get out there to to the the venue and that as well. I'd, if I was yeah. doing it, I reckon I'd leave very early on the Saturday and and try and spend the Saturday and maybe travel home the Sunday. But at yeah. the moment, it's I'm probably erring on not being able to go, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's the way that so many of these things are as well, isn't it? Because real life gets in the way. I was hoping to go to the UK Games Expo, which was on last weekend. Um, but, you know, you can't do everything really, can you? When you've got kids and you've got family and you've, you're trying to do these things. But um, And I've been spending more time painting recently, which I've enjoyed. But at the same time, you know, I've got to be I'm conscious of the fact that I can't just only do completely pointless geek nerd things for me and uh, not contribute as a active father and husband <laughs> to my family. <laughs> as we as we wrap up our chat, then what are you painting at the moment? Like, what are you working on? So I've got this... Um, it's kind of weird, actually, because it, it felt like a bit of a mad harebrained idea, but I decided that I really wanted to paint some sort of, like, 19th century stuff, just because I thought that these, like, Napoleonic uniforms and, you know, the bright colours, they just look really cool. But I didn't want to do any Napoleonic wargaming as such, but I was just like, oh, well, why don't I do something that's kind of, um, you know, just imaginary. And then rather sort of ridiculously, you kind of go down a rabbit hole and you realise that actually wargaming really started 
with like you know H.G. Wells writing this Little Wars book and people in the 60s and 70s writing all these wargaming things and pretty much all of them were based on these imaginary nations uh, you know and they the idea of it being historical is quite a, a new thing really so I just kind of embraced that I was just like right I'm just going to buy some cool models and just going to paint them up and I got a bit carried away and ended up buying more than probably I, I intended to but I just kind of really had this vision in my mind of just painting up these huge ranks of infantry and cavalry and artillery, just with all the bright colours and having no rules in mind. I'm not worried about what I paint, what colour, and I'm just whatever looks good and just making up these kind of... And I might then start doing a bit of story world building and think, oh, what, where are these people from and what country are they? And putting some magic in so it can still be a bit fantasy-ish and just kind of making it my own game, if you like. And... Yeah, I'm just sort of doing it. And actually going to Palestine was really helpful because it made me realise that's almost what everyone's done there. They've all gone, I just want to do this. I want to have a game where there's going to be like loads of elephants. So I'm going to do an Indian mutiny or something. And they're just, people are just doing what they want. And it's it's really freeing actually just to be able to just paint whatever you like. And I've been rattling through it all. Not worried too much about the standard, just more about just getting it looking good and just having fun. But I think I've got to work out where to store it and where to play it. But, you know, that's a, that's a problem for another day. I'm just on the train at the moment enjoying it. You're going to get into Silver Bayonet or that with these figures? That'd be an opportunity. Well, it would, but I think you only need 10, and I've got about 450. So <laughs> I'll probably well, you'll definitely, you'll definitely win then, wouldn't you, if you've got <laughs> <they> guys? <laughs> exactly. It's like one little goblin or something and a whole <laughs> army. So, yeah, uh, I, I think it's more about just – I'm almost not even worried about what rules I use. I think I'm just trying to take in a real kind of like not so much what game are you playing, but what what, what world are you creating? Uh, what's the story? So I'm kind of just enjoying it in this really loose way, I think, actually, and just thinking, do you know what? And even if I don't actually do anything at the end of it as such – I say don't do anything. Even if I don't do what I imagine I'm going to do at the end of it, if I've enjoyed myself along the way, then it's all been completely worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's mm. a it's a hobby, not a shouldn't be a chore. I mean, there are going to no. be times where it's chore-ish, but it uh, shouldn't always be like that. Yeah, no, not at all. And actually, I've found that as I've been focusing on painting quicker, or not focusing, but sort of perhaps defocusing and and just and just painting. I've actually felt a lot more real enjoyment for that. But at the same time, I'm really looking forward to, I got some, oh, I did buy at Parzan. I bought some figures that are like, um, what are they called? Morris men. And uh, for a kind of a bit of a folk horror, Wicker Man-esque kind of war band. Not Morris dancers. Yeah, Morris dancers, yeah. Oh, Morris dancers. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a guy with a hobby horse and all this kind of stuff. And I've got this sort of May Queen type woman. Um, so yeah, and a scarecrow guy. So I'm kind of going to go in for a full kind of Wicker Man style um, war band for maybe Frostgrave or Song of Braves and Heroes or a- any of those systems really. Um, and and I'm looking forward to painting those with like more detail and care, you know, individually. And it's yeah, it's been a real good palette cleanser. I I could imagine some sort of like West Side Story parody where it's Morris dancers, you know, in West Side Story they do that, like they're all dancing to each other, the gangs and stuff. Is it West Side Story? Yeah, that'd that be right? pretty. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. But yeah, instead yeah. it's like Morris yeah. dancers dancing up to a, I don't know, Cthulhu or something. And uh, he's <laughs> he's just not sure what to do about it. He's just, he's just doing yeah. a hacker. Like 
Yeah. That'd be weird. Morris Dancers versus All Blacks. <laughs> Makes you proud to be English. You're all right. You're Scottish. You you, you got like the you got Mel Yeah, Gibson. exactly. He's one of ours. Um, <laughs> great to chat, though, Mark. It's great to hear about your experiences yeah, you there. And um, like I said before, the the Discord's got all your cool photos in it as well. So I would recommend it, folks. Yeah, yeah. In. There's some good pictures actually. Even if they're not the best taken pictures, the, 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 what I took pictures of is uh, spectacular enough. It was it was ace. Yeah, good place to go. Highly recommended. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Tabletop Miniature Hobby Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please do share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And be sure to check out our Discord community of like-minded hobbyists, which you could find at bedroombattlefields.com forward slash Discord. It'd be great to see you in there.